you might be able to guess what the big story of the week was. This convention will come to order. Delegates and alternates, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 2016 Republican National Convention. And WUFT was in Cleveland this week talking with Florida delegates and politicians. I'm Ryan Vasquez, one of the news managers at the University of Florida's Innovation News Center. And this week, we are breaking down the RNC with our reporters who were there, Marie Edinger and Katie Swatalski. They join me now from the road. Marie, Katie, now that it's over, what are some of the first things that come to mind to describe what happened this past week? Uh, crowded. It was so crowded, I didn't even imagine how many people would descend on the few square miles of downtown Cleveland. It was you know, pretty much shoulder to shoulder all the time. Energy, I think first, um, that's really something that stood out. And it's not surprising necessarily, but it, it was amazing to be a part of. And then secondly, the thing that I really noticed was the discrepancy in how things are covered in national news versus how it actually while you're there. So I guess first, let's talk about the energy. Uh, I guess, can you dive in a little bit more as to uh, what the feeling was like, what the sentiment was like from, you know, the delegates and the people who were there? Certainly. So amongst the delegates there, everyone there is, uh, is a delegate because they wanted to be, because they went and delivered a speech and were chosen. Everyone is there because they tried out and wanted to fight for their cause. So to have actually made it there by the end, they're all just absolutely thrilled. Everyone wakes up early in the morning and stays out late going to these different events that were organized for each um, each state, each area. So I talked to so, so many people who, even though Trump was not their first choice, they were still so emphatic that they had to do their best to ensure that Trump would get to the White House, and they were so happy to be there. Um, all of the politicians who spoke were, they had this sort of celebrity status. Um, it was kind of, it was it was the same type of thing you would see if there were a major actor or football player walking by, as when um, some of the former presidential candidates, uh, Ben Carson and John Kasich, for instance, when they would walk by, people would run after them, go crazy. And then as for the protesters, there there were not nearly as many at first as uh, Cleveland had anticipated, nor as many as it kind of uh, seemed on national news, I'd say. But at the same time, those who were there are obviously making a statement. I um, Just walking um, on the street, I would get yelled at by protesters. Uh, saying Trump is a bigot and things like that, just screamed at. And I'm media. I have nothing to do with the, with the election. The protesters were not typically angry. They weren't violent even remotely. Uh, they were mostly just walking, but it was still so stern. And they're, they're there because it's what they believe in. So from the delegates, they're all, they're all energized about getting to be part of this. The protesters are energized because they want to make a statement against what's happening. Um, the politicians who are a part of it, really, especially um, Governor Rick Scott and Attorney General Pam Bondi in Florida, came out and um, and really, really dedicated themselves 
to Donald Trump in a way that had been mentioned before, but that I hadn't I hadn't seen it be this enthusiastic. You got to speak to uh, a number of people at this event, um, whether they be uh, speakers, politicians, uh, delegates, or just people who are there showing up to show support or see what's going on. Um, any of those particular people stand out to you? There are two. Um, and the first was this very kind um, older gentleman. Uh, he was a delegate for Florida, um, Bill Folke, and he said, you know, to me, he was he was originally a very strong Rubio supporter. He knows Marco Rubio well, and um, he got very emotional when he talked about Donald Trump being president. And you, know, from this jovial, you know, older gentleman who was making jokes, and we had a really light interview. And at the end, he said, you know, I I was not a Donald Trump supporter, but he's going to be the best president we ever had. And he started to cry. Um, that was such a moment. I think. That, that definitely stood out. And then um, another interview was a, an alternate delegate from Florida, Sally Beach. And she felt so personally and so strongly uh, that Hillary Clinton deserved to be in prison. And that's why she was here. Um, and I think that that was sort of really fitting to the theme of the entire convention. And NPR covered it very well nationally. But it was very much not a Donald Trump convention. Like The, the convention was not about him. And every single person I spoke with said he was not their first choice. Some people said he was not their second or even third choice. But he was their nominee now, and they were here to beat Hillary. So the whole the whole convention became about, you know, very personal attacks against Hillary Clinton. Um, I don't think anyone's email account has ever been more scrutinized in the entire world. Actually, I do have an, an exact interview that stuck out the most. It was the first day, first or second, I'm pretty sure it was the first, I interviewed two different commissioners in Florida. It was Tweelo, who's running for a commission seat in District 5, and I am forgetting the other woman's name, forgive me, um, but she's running for District 10, both in Florida. Um, so Twee, Ms. Lowe, is a Vietnamese immigrant. She said she came here when she was nine years old, and the other woman was African-American. They're both avid Trump supporters. So neither of them, neither of them um, voted for him in the primaries, but now they, like everyone else, have come around and unified behind Trump. So the both of them, I'm talking to them, doing this interview, uh, first day, what are you looking forward to, et cetera. And I, I asked, well, you know, Trump has, has been called a racist and a sexist, and some of the things he said could really have really, really offended people. And how can you hear some of the things that he said about women and about African-Americans, about um, Latin Americans, things like that. How can you hear that and not be offended when each of you are part of minority races and are female? And so what stuck out to me about this was each of them explained from their perspective how Trump was not at all a racist or a sexist and I'd heard I'd heard um, people on the right say before, no, he's not, and just deny it, but I'd never heard it explained. And so that was what stuck out to me. And so what they said was Trump has a very diverse staff. He has a number of Mexicans and African-Americans on his staff. And so they use that to say, well, he clearly isn't racist because he's employing these people. And then 
I said, okay, but you're both women. He's been called a sexist. He had his arguments with Megyn Kelly, et cetera. And they said, but have you, you haven't seen how he interacts with his wife and his daughter. He has such a love and respect for them, but he clearly cannot think any less of women as he would of himself because he respects his family or the women in his family. You said that it was a little bit different on the ground than what was being, I guess, projected out there by the, I guess, national media. So can you explain what, what maybe some instances in which you saw some things and you said, well, that wasn't exactly how it went down? Sure. So there are a number of things. And the first one I already brought this up was the protesters. I, there's national news streaming constantly all over the RNC. There are different televisions put up on different channels, and you can see what everyone's covering. And, of course, I wake up in the morning, go to sleep at night, and I read the news. So on national media, they're talking about these violent protests, or not violent, but large protests and how all the angry protesters, and they show video on the ground of it looking so crowded. And really, when you are in the middle, when you go to take a video, it does look crowded. But realistically... From everything I saw every day, the protests were relatively small. It would just be 40 or so people marching or really just walking down the street. I saw a few walking down the street in silence, holding signs. I saw a few marching, but it was peaceful. They were chanting different things. Um, A lot of Black Lives Matter and different um, leftist groups were there. There was a Communist Party group I saw on the first, on actually Sunday, the day before the convention. Um, but none of them were, were, I don't want to say a big deal. None of them were incredibly striking or really anything to get concerned about even remotely. And I know that there was the flag burning on Wednesday that led to 17 people's arrest and two police officers were assaulted. But in comparison to what the, what Cleveland was prepared for, the municipal police in Cleveland, or excuse me, the municipal court in Cleveland was prepared to arrest a thousand people per day. And we did not see anything like that. Although realistically, I don't want to be a part of something that where, uh, where there's all um, fire and brimstone and anger that would have been scary to be around. So I am grateful that it didn't happen. But even still, the way national media was portraying it was starkly different from how it felt to be there. I didn't for a single second feel in danger. And I talked to several delegates and just people on the street who said that there, the police force was so extensive and so huge that there wasn't a second that they felt like they were in danger. Although they did say that having the police have to be there in mass was a little unsettling. Um, another thing, and this could be skewed because of the audience I was talking to, um, but all of the pause that they, all of the national headlines each day were not discussed as heavily at the convention itself. So the Trump wife having uh, potentially plagiarized uh, Michelle Obama's speech as first lady in 2008. Um, That really, it was such a headline. It was such a big thing on the news. It was everywhere. I was getting constant alerts from different news sources, but no, not a single person was talking about it at the convention itself. And I will point out that that could potentially be because Everyone at the convention is Republican, and so they're not going to crucify um, their own candidate's wife in that in that aspect. So that could be why, but it really wasn't a big deal. I brought it up with a couple of the delegates. One person um, defended Melania, um, and the others just kind of blew it off 
As for Cruz, um, the there was a lot of anger on the on the floor at the time when he told everyone to vote their conscience. Um, but people weren't bringing them up on on their own. When I when I brought it up, no one seemed angry. All they said was, "We need to unify. Everyone needs to get behind Trump and put a Republican in the White House." Um, but it it wasn't as dramatic at the convention as it seemed in in national news. And I will say again, um, it could be because everyone's busy, they're human, they're more distracted by the parties they get to go to and things like that. And at the same time, the people who are pushing for those headlines are largely going to be Democrat, especially for the uh, plagiarism of the speech. So the, the coverage of protests, I mean, the convention was extremely well staffed in terms of security. I felt very safe being there. Uh, the, the officers there did a really great job being overly cautious. And I think that that really helped. They were prepared to arrest a thousand people a day. And the total convention was only like 23 or 24 people they ended up arresting. So that's a huge difference. And watching, you know, CNN and Fox and MSNBC, they would show this footage of the protests that were maybe 40 people. And there's a sea of reporters behind them. So all of a sudden the protest looks like there's 100 people there. Well, really, 50 of them were journalists trying to uh, you know, get coverage of any kind of protest. So it was really distorted, I think, in the national media compared to being on the ground there. And the protests were very small, and they were really very peaceful. Um, most folks fun at Donald Trump or you know, made stances for uh, pro-LGBT and, and you know, pro-Muslim sentiment. Um, trying to encourage, you know, non-hatred was a big deal for the protesters. But there really were not that many protests, and there really were not nearly as many people protesting as the national media made it feel. It was it was interesting because I got to speak with three women from the Florida delegation. Uh, two were guests. One was an alternate delegate. And then I also spoke again with Sally Beach, the other alternate delegate, about it. And all... All four of those women uh, in separate conversations, you know, they just kept saying, well, the media needs something to talk about. It doesn't change my opinion of her at all. And they were very, very steadfast in their opinion that Melania Trump is a good woman and she did not plagiarize. And this is just something being perpetuated to fill the 24-hour news cycle. I, I spoke with Governor Rick Scott, and he said he could send a message to Ted Cruz that he would say, look, there's only two people on the ballot, and if you're not voting your conscience for Donald Trump, you're voting for Hillary. So it, 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 Governor Rick Scott turned it much more into a, look, it's either Trump or Hillary, and your conscience should say Trump. And it seemed like that was kind of what some of the other people were doing uh, who spoke afterward. They seemed to try to get, you know, to, to repurpose that speech into, he was kind of talking about, the Republican Party, and he was talking about Donald Trump roundaboutly, but um, it seemed like they're trying to put, you know, uh, a bow on something that was kind of an ugly night. Um, so I, I am curious, although some of these things are, you know, in the media that we um, we perceive are important. Do you think there was a disconnect between what the media thought was important and what Republicans thought was important? Because important in this particular sense, it's kind of like Disney World for Republicans. And they may have rose-colored glasses while they're there. Absolutely. And I think you know, the media definitely highlighted, highlighted um, you know, that there was a lot of anti-Hillary. I think the people attending the convention, the delegates, the alternates, and guests, 
would have liked to see much more anti-Hillary coverage. Um, they, you know, everyone I spoke with felt very importantly felt that national issues were really, really important. And the biggest one I would say is anti-immigration. The, the immigration policies by Donald Trump were, I think, by far his popular speech for the convention. It, his anti-immigration policy was his most popular issue for people being there to support him. Um, and so I think what the national media covered was far more based on who said what in speeches and delegates and alternates and guests would have preferred talking a little bit more about the issues, so to speak. I really do think it was the media was more about what's going on here and people people there would want us to say things like, well, you know, Don, Donald Trump's anti-immigration policy is X, Y, and Z, and I think that's great because... Can you kind of give a day in the life of what it was like to be a reporter there? What was it like to go through and interact there where you're essentially a neutral party? Sure. So the days are long and kind of alternate between being slow and casual and pleasant and extremely hectic, which uh, I suppose is really to be anticipated as a reporter. But so in the morning each day, um, there were different breakfasts held for the delegates from each state. So some days, uh, depending on the speaker, I would go to the Ohio delegates breakfast, and other days I would go to the hotel where the Florida delegates were staying, depending on the speaker who I was most interested in. Um, So, for instance, if I went to the Florida delegates breakfast, we would get there, we would set up the cameras and mingle a little bit, kind of go about uh, who would be best interview uh, just there. And one of the things I want to point out was the diversity was incredible at the at the convention. I mean, people as a whole, because the, there are delegates and alternate delegates, there are guests, there are people there from different clubs and high school who I talked to. So you, I saw these 16-year-old kids who were there. There are ancient, ancient men and the just all races, and so that was interesting to see. So I didn't have an issue um, finding people to represent different groups. That was great. That was kind of a sidetrack. But anyway, go to these well, breakfasts. Well, let me ask you one question, though, Marie. Um, so, you know, as I've been seeing, uh, particularly this week and uh, some of the more comedic uh, takes around, um, and you may have seen them yourself, is obviously the Instagram picture of uh, – Paul Ryan and his interns and getting uh, lambasted for not having any minorities represented in that picture. And then I've seen something from Michael Che of, uh, of Saturday Night Live uh, trying to look for minorities. And then um, we also had, uh, I think, on a couple of bits here and there where they had the lone black uh, person who was at the RNC. Uh, so you're saying you saw more. Realistically, obviously, the majority is going to be white Americans. That's, that's always going to be the majority. Uh, and you can play on that for comedic effect, but if if you put in it doesn't it didn't even take effort. If you would you would find uh, you would find women and you would find all races if you if you don't even have to look they're there. Uh, although of course uh, the majority of the people there were white men and the majority of delegates were white men. But you have to keep in mind, I was talking to delegates and their alternates. There are 99 delegates from Florida, 96 alternates. And each of their guests and then 
um, the kids who I spoke to were all were all there from clubs. So there there was diversity, less so among the delegates themselves, but from the crowd as a whole at the convention, it was pretty diverse. And you know, we would get there. We you know, people people running the state parties like the the Florida Republican Party and the Ohio Republican Party, like state heads of their GOPs, um, were extremely nice to press. Very accommodating. They would get us extra passes. Um, they would, you know, do you need anything? Um, there's not a ton of space because it really was a convention for press, for media. So everybody was sharing, you know, risers or cameras and things like that. But it was very much a media team effort. Um, and the, the speakers at the breakfast would usually gaggle right after they talked so we could grab them outside. Um, and it was very, you know, the, the, the people who oversaw state delegates and oversaw the media were extremely helpful. Um, I would say, you know, after the breakfast, we would, we would interview some delegates. The delegates and the alternates were very nice. They realized that they were, all, they were here to be seen, essentially. And would talk to us all about their views, all about the speakers, you know, what were, what were they going to do the next day? We are here to speak up for our party and let me talk to you. So there was no one who really resisted an interview. Um, and that's, I think, unusual because, you know, when you go out to report on a regular daily story, you're going to have people who say, I would really rather not talk to you about this. Um, and, you know, they really were very supportive of each other. So after, Marie and I would interview delegates, alternates, guests um, from the Florida delegation. We would go to the media center, to the Quicken Loans Arena and Media Row, which, you know, the, the parking garage for the Quicken Loans Arena was converted into this, I thought it was incredible, um, media center. Huge outlets. They had coffee. There was CNN was right next to NPR and things like that. So the networking is also was also incredible. I mean, I got to meet my idol, the man who made me want to be a journalist, and that was just a chance encounter in a parking lot. Um, Mo Rocca. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny. So is there anything that will sit with you, whether it's an interaction with someone, whether it's something you did, where it's someplace you went, anything that will stick out that lands home with you about when I think back about this 2016 convention and, and how I covered it, what will you remember in maybe 20 years? I actually know the exact answer to that without even having to having to really mull it over. I know the exact moment for me that was, one, uh, interesting in its own right, and then, two, really encompasses the convention as a whole. So on, the, on Wednesday, um, the chairman of the Republican National Committee in Florida, Blazing Ogley, was having a breakfast at the hotel for the Florida delegates and introduced a number of speakers. Um, he was really, really great at firing up the crowd. He's pretty well known, I'd say, in, um, in Florida amongst, amongst Republicans, particularly the delegates have seen him before. He introduces Rudy Giuliani to the stage, who realistically is not the most relevant to Florida. <laughs> but, uh, but everyone, everyone went crazy. He was a really, really fiery speaker. A lot of his patterns of speech are a lot like Trump, actually. But so at the end of, of, Giuliani's speech, he takes three questions. The first, the first question he takes, a man holds up a, an article from the New York Times that says that Donald Trump only has a 24% chance of actually winning the presidency, even though he's gotten the nomination officially. 
So, <laughs> the, so Rudy Giuliani tells the man, hold that article up again. And the man holds it up. He says, you know what to do with it. And there's laughter from the crowd, and the man rips the paper in half. And this is a big, a big ballroom-type area. It's pretty full, but not packed. But with the noise that came from the crowd, you would think you were in a football stadium. The cheering was wild. And so for someone to be shown an article that says, hey, you may want to be wary, your your candidate has only a 24% chance of actually being successful, no matter how hard you try. And for people to just disregard it, just say, we don't care. We believe in ourselves. We believe in our cause. We think that we will win. Um, that was that was the message from the whole convention, really. It was so, so powerful in that moment. And everyone was united in that moment. And that was one of the messages of the convention as a whole, that they need to unite behind Donald Trump in order to win. An interview I did with a, the youngest Florida delegate, um, Jessica Fernandez. She is 31, and she's from Miami Lake. And we got to speak with her just after uh, Rudy Giuliani spoke to the Florida delegation. And Rudy Giuliani's speech was extremely well received. I think that, you know, the Florida delegates liked him better than any other speaker we saw. Um, and she was just so outspoken for for the Florida delegation, for, for you know, the issues that matter to them and you know, why, even though she only agreed with Donald Trump 50% of the time on issues, she was going to vote for him. And I think that that was super interesting because you only agree with 50% of what someone says. Do you want them to be the next leader of the United States? But she, she made her argument, and it was, it was really eye-opening to, to hear another opinion like that. Um, another, another moment that I think I won't ever forget was um, interviewing Dr. Ben Carson. After he spoke to the Florida delegates on, I believe it was Tuesday, I got to go up to him and ask him some questions. And his answers were very interesting. Um, still not super pro-Donald Trump, but still really anti-Hillary. And I think his opinion on that matters to a lot of Florida delegates. So being there to ask you know, a former candidate in the same race questions about why he now supports you know, the GOP's nominee was was a big moment. Outside of uh, the convention, was there anything else you got to do in Cleveland uh, that was a, a little personal? And you say, hey, I, I got to do something. You know, I've, I said I visited Cleveland and not just Quicken Loans Arena. Uh, we did very little in Cleveland. Our last day, um, Dana, who works at the station in the afternoons, he does all things considered and has a couple of his own programs, mentioned to Katie Sotolsky that there's a place called the Arcade that he really loves. And so we were looking for a place our last last night on um, uh, Thursday night just to decompress and have a bite to eat. And I said, hey, well, you know, we pass Arcade every single day. It's right on the corner there. Why don't we go check it out? So I walk, we walk in, and it's this just an empty building <laughs> with rooms for shops. There were dozens of rooms for shops that were just empty. They hadn't been rented out. And then there was this one restaurant and bar way in the back. And we got gorgonzola fries that were among the best things that have ever I've ever tasted. Partially because we were so tired and it was the end of the week. And partially because they were just really good. 
So uh, I do recommend everyone go get those gorgonzola fries. We can't imagine how Cleveland must actually look. Our only perception of Cleveland is how it's been transformed for the RNC and how how streets are lined with cops and roads are blocked off. It looks nothing like how I would imagine the city would actually be on a day-to-day basis. Thanks for joining us. To find more of our convention coverage, as well as other stories from around the state, go to our website, wuft.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at WUFT News.